Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you know the Bible is God's holy word? Do you know it is inspired, inerrant, and infallible? If so, like, share, subscribe, and support this podcast. For we are Maranatha Ministries, and our redemption draweth nigh. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your host, Jose and Matthew. Good to be back in the saddle for this WI2C Radio. Um, love doing this. I love the Apocalypse of Isaiah. Um, just to throw this out there, if you go to the Spreaker account, I made another uh, another podcast there, uh, Bible Portions, because I needed to study this for myself. So you can do it a couple of different ways, but it... it <sighs> Whenever I'm busy, I need to have the portions of Scripture I need to have. So I made I made the Apocalypse of Isaiah and the Book of Asaph, both from the New American Standard Bible 95 and the KJV, just in case somebody else wanted to listen to KJV. But uh, if anybody wants to know what I've been doing as of late, it's listening to it over and over and over. And you talk about getting the full mill deal. If you know the Apocalypse of Isaiah, you know what's to come. And you're going to come across some very difficult things in this chapter, uh, chapter 29 tonight. We need to push through it because this is this is 24 verses, and it's going to be quite a stretch to get through this with the amount of information contained. And I really do have to push this. You all need to take a look at this in the Septuagint because... It, 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 it. <laughs> just do it, I suggest, ladies and gentlemen. We better start this out with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and uh, thank you for this program, and thank you for this ministry, and thank you for allowing Jose and I to get together and uh, consume your word and digest it the best that we can and get it out to uh, the Ecclesia in this 60-minute spurt that we're going to do here. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit lead us in the way that Jose and I should go. Uh, there's just so much here, Lord, and of course there always is, but uh, we need some direction tonight because this really is a, 
a very large, large hunk of portion here to try to digest in one shot. So please be with us, Lord, and uh, please be with the uh, participant, whether they're in the live version or in the archive. Uh, please be with them, Lord, and please uh, help direct their thoughts and their minds on what is to come. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, amen. Jose, what's your opening comments about this uh, wham-packed 24 verses? Yeah, lo lots of info, Matthew. Lots of info. This is one where, you know, I need to sit down for a week just to even begin to understand all the things that God's saying here. Um, and, of course, this is... Uh, this this week and, and today it's just like I had no time at all to sit down at my computer and start looking at the at the Hebrew or even the Greek, you know. All I could do was listen to it and read through it and and um and I mean yeah your 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 little sections there that you put up on the on the apocalypse of Isaiah, I was listening through those too. And um I just noticed Matthew that that when I'm reading I understand the NASB a lot more. It's easier to read, but when I'm listening to it, boy, that that KJV just kicks. <laughs> especially when we get to, when they're going through Isaiah 29. I mean, just it's just it's just a little bit more poetic. You know what I mean, Matthew? It just uh, sounds a little little better in the ears. But yeah, this is just a, a jam-packed chapter, and I'm hoping we can at least uh, cover the important parts. You know what I mean? Yeah, I cover the important parts. There, there's obviously some very, very deep things we can get into here. Um, and it, it opens up with a riddle of riddles, that is for sure. And that's one of the things with this chapter. It it starts out, out this way in this epic sort of poem, this epic sort of narrative. So I absolutely agree with Jose uh, listening through this on the KJV, it, it has that epic feel to it. But I strongly suggest everybody read this in the Septuagint because it's going to direct you places that you really do need to go and hear the Hebrew hints at it. But that's, um, well, that's just too much time uh, for us to, to try to get into that. So... Jose, you're calling into the program tonight, right? So should I be the one reading, or do you want to read? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and read, Matthew? I'm, I'm working off my phone right now, so it'd probably be easier for you to read for us, and then we'll go from there. Okay, all right, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be taking it from the New American Standard Bible, the 95 uh, update. We're going to take the first uh, stanza here, the very first four verses, and... I hope you've got your pen and and or pencil and paper ready because right from the gate, oh my goodness, a riddle upon riddle. Woe, oh Ariel. Ariel, the city where David once camped. Add year to year. Observe your feast on schedule. I will bring distress to Ariel, and she will be a city of lamenting and mourning, and she will be like an Ariel to me. I will camp against you, encircling you, and I will set siege works against you, and I will raise up battle towers against you. 
then you will be brought low. From the earth, you will speak. And from the dust where you are prostrate, your words will come. Your voice will be like that of a spirit from the ground. And your speech will whisper from the dust. Oh my goodness, this is a riddle upon riddles. The first thing that gets me is, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not familiar with Daniel, there's certain certain catchphrases, certain remembrancers in there that should have triggered you. Because we know what's going to happen at the end with the Assyrian false prophet. He is going to change these set times and laws. And right here, God was literally directing you to that. He was warning right here. And I read again. Add year to year. Observed your feast on schedule. So, this is just, just, just really off the hook to me. It's, it's um, so complex. Uh, even this, this phrase here, Ariel. What, what could this possibly mean? Because it says, you know, it's a city where, where, where David once camped. But then it says, and this is God speaking, and she will be like an aerial to me. Jose, what's your thoughts? What could he possibly be talking about? Well, Matthew, yeah, I, I keyed in on that word aerial too. Um, and like I said, I'm not in front of my computer, so I can't dig into that word. But when you hear the word, your first thing I thought about was was um an angel you know just because of the name the way it ends in l that's how that's how a lot of the angels in the bible are named um so that's just the first thought that that you get in but then god calls it a city you know um and you know that which you see the meaning of ariel it means lion of god right so then your mind gets taken to the lion of judah um but my mind was also taken to uh, the verse in Isaiah where it talks about um, the lamb and, and the lion, right? And I know um, with that the set of, of, of creatures that are described there, it doesn't, it doesn't group the lamb with the lion. But, and, and then I also know that that word for lion is a different Hebrew word than this Hebrew word. So, so but, but that's where my mind went, was, was those two connotations. So... Um, that's, that's where I'm, my thoughts are leaning right now. Does this have something to do with, um, one half of the rod? You know, is this what God's talking about or is he talking about something else? You know, they're the ones that are going to have to dance with the Assyrian Matthew, the, the ones that, um, are not taken up to Zion with God. Right. So, uh, I know that that word, um, the, the, the root word for Ariel Right. Sometimes it's translated as young lion. You know, there, there's there are different different ways that it's translated. So, yeah, this is a very deep word that I mean, you know, we could study for a month, Matthew, and still not get to the bottom of what God's telling us here. So those are just my initial thoughts on, on the on the reading um, and, and where I began my my um, my seeking out for, for what was God was talking about here.
Well, at the very least to me, it would seem that this Ariel is the angelic prince over Jerusalem, perhaps. And when you read it, he is obviously talking about when he kicks them off Jacob's ladder. Mm -hmm. It is obvious. Um, It's obvious that that, this is what, well, now listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have to realize this is a, a thread through the apocalypse of Isaiah. He is going to satiate his sword in heaven. And now he just expanded upon that. He said he's going to set up siege works and raise up battle towers against this host of host of heaven. So he's doing something with the constellations. He is doing something in the heavens. And he, this is very, very strange words to be that- that that matches Matthew with what we've been reading about the fortified city, right? That's right. Um, when we read those verses, when God tears that city down, he's talking about, you know, trampling down the host. And so that would match um, with these set of verses. Um, yeah, that, that, that rings true right there, what you just said. So with that in mind... <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is this is a very deep thing. It's a very complex matter, and in the Hebrew here, ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to bring your attention to the simple fact that God uses anagrams all over the place in the Bible. This is this is a matter of common knowledge to the Hebrew scholars. And the places where he uses anagrams for this is really off the hook because it's going to take you by surprise. Um, One of these anagrams is in Genesis 16, verse 13. And when you take a look at it in the Hebrew, it just kind of stares you in the face because he just takes the letters and rearranges them. And for what you see in, how do I put this? The Hebrew word for lion here, Ari, its root word is Ara. It ends with a hay. God takes this and here in this instance, in this verse, he takes off the hay and supplants it with a yod. When he does that, well, first off, you look at this and it doesn't make any sense, but this is what he's doing because this is this infamous verse where, well, let me just read it. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? So this is this this phrase here, the God who sees. And it is an anagram for Ariel. And it immediately makes you step back because you realize this is where Hagar gives God a name. And she, she calls him the God who sees. 
And that's brought out. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In stark contrast here to this particular element, and when you realize what's being talked about here, I've made it perfectly clear that he must be talking about the host of heaven. And you have to understand what the Bible says. They know he's coming. They come down here. They obviously make pacts with the kings of the earth. And then guess what? God comes and sees them. He catches them. He puts them in this snare. This is how uh, the apocalypse of Isaiah started. There in chapter 24, the end of chapter 24, he tells you outright that they are caught in a snare they, of course, can't go back up Jacob's ladder as they have tried, and Michael has put them down. So you realize visually what's going on here, God has caught them where they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be up Jacob's ladder doing whatever it is they're supposed to be doing. But here, God catches them off guard. Now, in another place, he does this. It's another off-the-hook way he does it. He just plays with the yacht, and he moves it from the end. He moves it to the beginning. And staring you right there again in Hebrew is this, and you're like, what well, can't be there. But when he does this, this anagram is in Exodus 34, verse 3. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen Anywhere on the mountain, even the flocks and their herd may not gaze in front of the mountain. Of course, here, you know exactly what he's talking about. So, this being an anagram for this aerial brings up this idea that these hosts of heaven are in the location when God comes down, as he did on Mount Sinai, and he physically sees them where they're not supposed to be. Now, everybody knows that repeatedly God states that on his day, he's going to take the idols that everybody was worshiping, and he's going to cast them to the ground. Right, Jose? Yeah. He repeatedly states that. And when you realize prophetically that's what's being talked about here, that's exactly what he does in Isaiah chapter 29, that's exactly what he says. He says right there in verse 4, Then you will be brought low from the earth, you will speak, and from the dust where you are what? Prostrate. They're, they're flat on their face. This is exactly what he says he does to the idols on his great day. And then he says something very strange. Your words will come. Your voice will also be like that of a spirit from the ground. What very strange phraseology. And just these first four verses is just a riddle of riddles. It, it really is quite amazing. So, Jose, 
Any more comments on this phraseology here? Well, just the last two verses you read, Matthew, um, I mean, what Hagar says after the encounter, you know, she says, how am I even alive? <clears throat> and then what you read in Exodus, what would have happened if there was any man or any, any flock or herd on that mountain? What, what would have happened to that, those, those individuals that were caught there um, where, they're, where they're not supposed to be? Um, I mean, that, this is a real stark warning that God's giving here. Um, that you're supposed to be in your place when he comes down. Um, you know, it, it just, it just brings all kinds of, uh, um, you know, pictures into your mind about when they're talking about hiding in the mountains and hiding under the rocks, you know, because, because he's here when he does his, when the Lord does his visitation on the earth. I mean, that's, it's going to be a pretty, pretty um intense situation matthew when that happens very intense and of course the foolishness of all of the leaders we found out from the apocalypse of of isaiah on this day they realized that their pact with sheol is null and void yes this pact they made with the fallen is for naught and you're getting ready to hear it again um Ladies and gentlemen, just before we get there, you have to understand that Mount Zion is the heavenly throne room. It is uh, where God's throne is. And all of you should know that from the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. You should all know that. You should all know that from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. Make no mistakes about it. This is what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. So this next stanza, it's going to say it. And this is going to put the period at the end of the sentence. This is what he's talking about. And we have to realize what happens here. Uh, before we read it, you know, it, it's already mentioned it here. Let's go ahead and shoot over to Daniel real quick and just read a single verse uh, from the book of Daniel. Of course, we could also just uh, read a few uh, verses uh, from Revelation chapter 12. But now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. Okay, so you should know what happens. He actually goes to war with Mount Zion, and you know what the book of Revelation says in chapter 12. Michael promptly puts him down, and their place is lost in heaven. Now, Maybe we ought to jump over there and read that, too. Um, I can't spend too much time lingering, but this is very important for this next stanza. Um, verse 7 of Revelation chapter 12. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. Don't you realize what it just said? It just said that they're going to try to go to war with Mount Zion. 
Now, they obviously think that this is a wise idea because God is not there, right? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You should know what has happened. You should know by now. He catches them down here, so they actually think it would be apropos to seize the moment and assault the citadel of the living God. They think it's a good idea. Hey, we'll just go up there and we'll just trash heaven because God's too busy down here. Michael doesn't take too kindly to that. So that's what this stanza is getting ready to say. And if you're not familiar with Daniel chapter 12 and you're not familiar with Revelation chapter 12, you're going to be lost. But please write this down. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Mount Zion is God's throne room. That That's what that is. So picking it up in verse 5. But the multitude of your enemies will become like fine dust, and the multitude of the ruthless ones like chaff which blows away. And it will happen instantly, suddenly, from the Lord of hosts you will be punished with thunder and earthquake and loud noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a consuming fire and the multitudes of the nations who wage war against Ariel, even all who wage war against her and her stronghold who distress her will be like a dream, a vision in the night. It will be as when a hungry man dreams and behold, he is eating. But when he awakens, his hunger is not satisfied. Or when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking. But when he awakens, behold, he is faint, and his thirst is not quenched. Thus the multitudes of the nations will be who wage war against Mount Zion. Jose, your thoughts? Well, Matthew, right there, it it really ties into what you're saying about Ariel being... Um, the angelic host over Jerusalem. Uh, we're told that, you know, the nations are going to come against Jerusalem. The nations are going to attack Jerusalem. We're told that over and over. Um, I mean, we see what you're talking about, the war against Mount Zion. And you know that that's, that the, the footstool of Mount Zion is right, right there in Jerusalem. That's the, the base of it. And, you know, it, heaven is its top. So this is really cementing what, what you were saying there. Um, this is all talking about when, when those nations all, all come up against, against Jerusalem to attack her. So you got an attack um, up top and you got attack on the base and, and the Lord and, and um, you know, Jesus have to come down and, and set things straight. So this is all lining up with those other verses you, you've been reading, Matthew. And it and it's it's so it's so perfect how how he puts this, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I've said this before, you know, especially about uh, Corral's rebellion. Are we talking about brain damage or something? I mean, what type? What type of creature would it take to actually think he could assault Mount Zion? And right. it's perfect how he puts it. This is like a dream. I mean, you're dreaming. 
It will be as a hungry man dreams of behold, he's eating, but when he awakes, his hunger is not satisfied. I mean, this is the perfect way to put it. I mean, we got to be talking about some form of brain damage. I, I mean, are you mentally retarded to think you can assault Mount Zion? But that's exactly what they do. As Satan tries to assault Mount Zion, of course, the nations try to attack Jerusalem. It's, it's one thing for everybody to come against Israel. You know, most people in the surrounding area hate the Jews anyway. That's, you know, that's plausible. What this is talking about is purely psychotic on an angelic level. He knows he can't cross the barrier to the four cherubim. He knows that. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense what's being stated here, but, but, it, well, verse 9, be delayed and wait. Blind yourselves and be blind. And they become drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets, and he has covered your heads, the seers. It's, ladies and gentlemen, these angels are going to try to hook up with the prophets and the seers. And it's not going to jibe. The messages are not going to get relayed. They're going to be scatterbrained. The only way you can you can decipher this riddle here in 9 and 10 is they've had their brain scrambled. And my son and I have did episode on this about what happened at the Tower of Babel. These, the ancient text, and my son and I covered it, kind of referenced there being seven servers, seven different servers. But anyway, it kind of makes you remember that episode that whatever's going on, their brains have been scrambled. It's just, they've just been scrambled. Verse 11, the entire vision will be to you like the word sealed in a book, which when they give it to the one who is literate saying, please read this, he will say, I cannot for it is sealed. Then the book will be given to one who is illiterate, saying, please read this, and he will say, I cannot read. But you already got this in the apocalypse of Isaiah. This one-third of the heavenly host, they come down here during the birth pangs, before he impacts. They make packs with the leaders down here. But when the rubber hits the road, the vision from the prophets, look, whatever information these fallen angels are trying to give the leaders, it doesn't come out right. It gets scrambled. Jose, your thoughts? No, I, I think that, that matches up perfectly, Matthew. What what I what I thought of um, when I read that they become drunk but not with wine, 
what that reminded me of is when my father-in-law um, was was living with us, and he would get low blood sugar, and he would all of a sudden sound like he was drunk, Matthew, you know, and and it and it took a few times for that to happen for me to realize that obviously he's not drinking alcohol because he's diabetic and he has a whole lot of health issues. So he's not drinking alcohol, but why is he sound drunk? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And so then when we, when, when my wife obviously knew, and so she told me right away, get him, get him a, a glass of orange juice. So we'd give him orange juice that stabilizes his blood sugar. And then, you know, he, he'd normalize, but, but right away we knew if he was acting drunk, it was, it was serious health issues going on with him that, that had to be addressed immediately. And that, that matches here with what you're talking about, the scrambling of the, of the brain. Why are they acting like this? They're, they're perfectly normal otherwise, but, but they're, not, um, they're not comprehending. You know, they're, they're, they're acting in strange ways. And so that's, that's, a, that's that to me, that's what I thought about when I read those verses, Matthew. You know, that's, that's a pretty good way to put it. Or somebody having an epileptic seizure. Yes, um, right somehow their brains being scrambled and that's the only thing he could be talking about here but just take note ladies and gentlemen what about the entire book of the revelation do you realize this right the only thing that happened was is that jesus gave this message to an angel and the angel came down and while john was in his cell and the angel projected the entire book into john's mind john didn't go anywhere so this is what they're trying to do, but it gets scrambled. So you can imagine, right when these events happen, you know what God's already told us to do. He's, he's already told you, now look, right before this happens, go into, uh, uh, go into uh, your room, your closet, whatever, and shut the door for just a while, for just a little while until the indignation passes. So, the only thing that makes sense is when this happens is when you get that urging. Then, of course, you're going to know what happens next. But anyway, the Apocalypse of Isaiah goes into great detail about what you're supposed to do. So it would seem to me that this is that perfect window of opportunity. And he's talked about this before when somebody, uh, when wars have been fought, uh, specifically uh, surrounding David in a couple of specific events he would defeat the enemy by scrambling their brains and they would become confused and kill each other and it seems to me that's what happens here that they're trying to give direction to the people but it gets scrambled they can't they can't communicate so literally god has unleashed the tower of babel incident on the host of heaven. Uh-oh, did everybody hear what I just said? You didn't expect that. You, you never expected me to say that, did you? What else could he be talking about here? So, 
Any more comments on that, or should I do the next couple of verses? Yep, no, we can continue on, Matthew. All right, verse 13, well, this is actually two, two, well, these are sonnets. 13 and 14 is a sonnet, and 15 and 16 is a sonnet, so I'm just going to read them together because it flows together, and, well, <laughs> what a riddle of riddle this is. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with these people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and those whose deeds are done in a dark place and who say, who sees us or who knows us? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered equal with the clay that what his mate should say to its maker, he did not make me. Or what his form say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. Like I stated, ladies and gentlemen, this is psychotic. This is brain damage or something. It, it's something, uh, I mean, really? But yet this is true by the very last chapter. It said they make a pact with death. They think that uh, by making this pact with these fallen angels, they will be able to make an end run around he who sitteth upon the throne. And this leads credence to something else. A very bad harbinger. Everybody knows the massive amount of time I've taken to inform everyone that there are no Graylians, ladies and gentlemen. There's no such thing as aliens. There's only the masquerade. And it is generally considered pretty firm ground if you say that if and when they do show up, they're going to say that they made us. The top researchers in this game with the alien connection, all of them will say this. They know that's what they're going to say, that they are the ones that made us. And yet, this is exactly what was being hinted at here. And take note, I'm not picking on anyone. I'm not picking on anyone. You need to get connected with the Lord your God. Okay, because if you think that 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 you can do something like the Catholics do, you know, they have rosaries and they will repeat a prayer for every bead on the rosary. That's not going to cut it. What about the Lutherans readings? Ladies and gentlemen, this is what he was hammering on. You need to have a personal relationship with your God. You don't pray by rote. You don't get up and read the same 
you know, rigmarole every Sunday. And that's all you do. You don't pray anymore. You don't. And a lot of people have problems with this. They'll pray before every meal, but they'll pray the exact same thing. And it really means nothing. You need to have a very personal relationship with the Lord your God. Now, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with praying with the rosary. I never said that. That's not what I said. I said doing something by rote and tradition. This is what he's talking about. He don't want your traditions. He wants to hear your cries. He wants to get personal with you. Ladies and gentlemen, he knows when you're just reciting a poem. He is the Lord God. He knows when you're just reciting things. You need to spill your guts to him. You need to get personal with him. Jose? So, yeah, Matthew, that that's kind of what I was tracking in these verses here. Um, we're told we're supposed to write his word upon our heart. And, and when these events start happening, we're not going to be able to open up our Bible to say, well, well, let me, let me read Revelation and see what God said about what's going on, trying to figure out, um, you know, the events that are happening right, right in front of us. This is already has to be in your heart. This already has to be um, studied uh, and understood. Um, that's what the whole edification and sanctification process is, Matthew. It's got to be in your heart so that when these events happen, you don't, it, it's like, it's like when you, when you're in training for, for something, right? You train so that, 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 that action just becomes automatic. You don't have to think about doing it, um, whatever, whatever you're training for. And so consider all of your, your biblical reading and your studying and, and writing that word upon your heart. Think about it in that way so that when this time comes, when the birth pangs come, you don't even have to think about what you're going to do. You already know. You already know what, what God has said in the apocalypse of Isaiah. You already know what he said in Revelation 12. You know what events are happening. You know what he told you in Daniel. And so you're going to do what you're supposed to do. And so that, that's, what I, that's what kept coming to me here, Matthew. Your, uh, all your traditions, everything, that, all the, the books that you have that you try to study, and, and follow um, that, that other men have written down, other doctrines that have been written down, those aren't going to work. It's what you've written on your heart. So that was, it. that was the important thing. And then verse 15, I mean, that just screams out Jeremiah 8 to me right there, Matthew. Yeah, yes, it does. Yes, it, it, it does. And boy, we don't have time to drag this in. <laughs> mess there's no way we have time to do that right right <laughs> we've mentioned this many times ladies and gentlemen you need to read jeremiah chapter eight i can't get into it right now but i've already talked about it lightly here this is really going to happen and this is what is so magnificent to me is this is the biggest secret under the rug in eschatological history why does nobody want to I, I don't know why nobody wants to talk about it but your biggest concern is uh, you're going to have one third of the host of heaven down here. And it really is going to be the devil's playground. And it amazes me how nobody talks about that. Uh, it just, it's amazing to me. Um, all right, let's jump into this next stanza. Boy, he's, 
Lord have mercy. If you don't have the inside scoop here, you're really off wondering what on earth is going on anyway. Verse 17, it is not yet just a little while before Lebanon will be turned into a fertile field and the fertile field will be considered as a forest. On that day, death will hear words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, eyes of the blind will see. The afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless will come to an end, the scorner will be finished. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off. Who causes a person to be indicted by a word and ensnare him who adjudicates at the gate and defraud the one in the right with meaningless arguments. Ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't have a clue about what he was talking about, doing things by rote and just just going through the motions, I hope you understand it now. I hope you understand it now. He was pretty clear the difference between the two. He was pretty clear. And I like how he mentioned the uh, the cedars of Lebanon here. He literally just told you, ladies and gentlemen, that they're going to be replaced. Now, you need to look this up for yourself. He Sometimes he calls them, um, he also refers to them to the oaks of Bashan. Here he's talking about the same thing. You should know here his use of Lebanon is keyed specifically into chapters in the book of Ezekiel. But that is to say, he's just saying that he's going to turn this forest of the mighty Lebanon, the trees of Lebanon, and you should all know this, it should trigger remembrancers in you. Oh, yeah, that's what was used to do what? Build the temple. Yes, yes. That forest is going to be hoed down into a fertile field. And the fertile field will be considered as a forest. What does that mean, ladies and gentlemen? He's speaking about 10 feet above everybody's heads. But be, re but be rest assured, he just said, once again, this fortified city, this, 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 well, the constellations, physically speaking, are going to be brought down. It's it's going to have a Salah moment. Jose, your thoughts? Yeah, Matthew, this just reminds me of uh, what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus in the Gospels, trying to trip him up, trying to get him, uh, you know, the, the lawyers trying to get him, you know, um, uh, catch him in a snare, right? Catch him in a trap uh, to get him to say something that would, that would, um, Oh, convict him and, and allow them to, to do what they wanted to do with him. Um, and, and that, that just matches right along with what you're saying about, you know, those people that, that like to bust out their law books and just try to, try to, um, 
try to catch everybody in their sin and, 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 and try to find workarounds for God's law. That's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing here. Uh, and so, you know, they kind of try to work you around in circles, Matthew, when, if you just follow the Beatitudes, I mean, that, that's, that should be, that, that's the way Jesus explained God's law. That's how we're supposed to be following his law. Not trying to, you know, write all these excerpts about in this situation, you do this because God said this, but in this situation is a special exception. You know, that, that's just what I'm, what I'm hearing here in these verses, Matthew, those type of, um, Christians, quote unquote, Christians. Yeah, this, you know, I was perfect how you, how you stated that. Let's go right to the point, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, or uh, 35, rather. Yeah, let's go to the one before it. One of them, a lawyer, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, he's not talking about a lawyer, lawyer. He's talking about a Pharisee that is an expert in the 613 laws. That's what he's talking about. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. That's exactly what Jose just stated. That's what they were trying to do, trip people up. And yes, this is exactly what these verses were talking about, verses 20 and 21. That's a perfect description of this expert in the law that tried to trip up Jesus. And he nipped it in the bud. What did he say? In layman's terms, he said the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes. And this is probably the most important lesson to give before the great day of the Lord. You all better figure this out because nobody I hear is, is preaching it. You need to come to grips with the simple fact that, ladies and gentlemen, I know you've been taught this for, you know, centuries now but you better get it straight before he gets here jose nope i think that that uh that's exactly what i was what i was trying to put across matthew yep and and like you said uh jesus set him straight and so and again like, like you've mentioned before when we're uh when we're in the tabernacle of david and we're sitting there and we're seeing all these different christians that worship and pray and and you know have different traditions than we do we better keep our mouth shut don't 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 bust out your law book matthew <laughs> <laughs> look i've i've stated this i think on the last on the last program ladies and gentlemen this you're all going to be equal if you've been taken to a place that's prepared how could there be a leader among you you all got there the same way. And yet, well, that's all I can do. All Jose and I can do is 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 urge you that when you get there, you need to act like a Christian. And you're not over anybody. Well, 
All right, 10 more minutes to go. We're going to make it the final standard. <laughs> Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall now not be ashamed, nor shall his face now turn pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. Indeed, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who err in mind will know the truth. And those who criticize will accept instruction. So, ladies and gentlemen, this these this final stanza here lets you know what's going to happen during the millennial reign of Christ. Now, take notes. You're supposed to know by now. And right now, I need to take time because I got a question about this. People are a little bit confused. So, let me say this one more time. This group of 144,000 children, I stated that they were segregated into two parts in the Apocalypse of Isaiah. The first group that Jesus tells you about are the babies in the womb. That's why he first states, woe be to pregnant women. So that's the first group. The second group is talked about in Isaiah chapter 28. That's those that are giving suck, and they're ripped off their, their mother's breast, and God teaches them everything. That's how they're weaned. They are weaned with God crashing their party. God literally comes right out and tells you that. He does not have a problem telling you that. This is one group. I didn't mean to confuse people. That's one group. That one group has two different parts. The Hebrew calls this group the Moshaim. They are Moshaim. Now the other group, they are adults. You see them numbered in Revelation chapter 7. They are going to die. They're going to be sealed by God, numbered. That number will complete the number of those who are to be killed. It will complete the number of the martyrs that are at the altar in heaven. Joe and I just give extreme exegesis on this, why these martyrs must stay at that, at that altar in heaven. So this group is segregated too. You have one group that's going to stay with God in heaven for the millennial reign of Christ. Then after that, you know, they come down with God. Creation can't take that fantastic power, so he has to remake all of creation, but that's when they come down. So for the millennial reign of, of Christ, those martyrs are segregated into those that are already at the altar in heaven right now, and this group of 144,000. So they're segregated too. So they are probably... I don't need to go too far. I don't need to get too complicated, but people were thinking that I was saying that the babies were going to be martyred. No, the martyrs, the Hebrew calls them the Talulim. They are the Talulim in Hebrew. So I have 
stated this many, many, many times. If you want the documentation, it is available on the Patreon account. I have all the documentation, but, you know, Jose, how many times have I explained this? I've literally explained this thousands of times by now. So I can't spend right. too much time on it. But I'm sorry that people got confused in the last broadcast. They thought that I was saying that those who were on the breast were going to be beheaded. No, 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 no. No, they're not. They're going to be taken to God and they're going to learn what? Line on line, line on line. <laughs> they're going to be taught by God and Jesus themselves. So, with that being stated, ladies and gentlemen, um, this group of 144,000 children, they never leave Christ. Not ever. Not ever. They are going to serve inside Ezekiel's temple. They're never going to come out from Ezekiel's temple. They are what you would be called the high priest. The high priest don't leave the temple grounds ever. Okay? That job is for the Talulim. That's why the other phrase in Hebrew for this group, all the priests that do job outside of the Temple Mount, they're the ones that was questioning Jesus, as we just read about in Matthew 22. They're the other priests that take care of, of all the business outside of the Temple Mount. That's what this group is going to be doing. So they will take their orders directly from the temple of Christ and their younger brothers. So Jesus and their younger brothers will give them instructions and they will be the enforcers on the planet. And believe me when I say they're not going to tolerate anything. They've done been through the tribulation and been beheaded for the Lord their God. So there's not going to be anything. <laughs> Look, we're not going to have any worry of our, you know, millennial uh, honeymoon being interrupted. You're not going to have to worry about it. They're not going to tolerate anything. But just imagine when all this happens, this will come true. He just come out and told you about his rod of iron. And I've stated this many, many, many times. You may not know it now, but you're going to figure it out, and you will accept the truth. That's how this chapter ends. That's why this last phraseology in this chapter is here. Those who err in mind will know the truth, and those who criticize will accept instruction, because after the great day of the Lord, oh, you're going to know it. Oh, yes, you will. Well, yes, you will. You're going to know it. Nobody's going to have to tell you anything. Why do you think you run to, you know, the hills? Why do you think you cry out to the rocks to cover you from? Well, this is why, ladies and gentlemen, because you supernaturally know everything from that point forward. Jose, two minutes left. I'm sorry. Your, 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 yep. your comments. Yep. So, so just two points. It's fitting that God starts the chapter off with um, kicking the host of, of heaven out of their place. Um, and he ends it with, uh, with showing, showing the house of Jacob who replaces them, right? That's, that's the work of his hands. That, that's what he's showing right there. So it's real fitting. And, and 
um, just on on the two groups in Revelation, the two groups of 144,000, if you look at those words in the Greek, in Revelation chapter 7, God uses the letters that calculate to 144. And in Revelation 14, he uses the words that mean 144. So you could say in one, he uses numbers to, for 144, and the other, he's using the, 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 he spells it out, 144. Right. So that's, you know, that's another way that, that God's separating those two groups, you know. Um, if he would have used the exact same phraseology for those two groups, then you know you're talking about the same set of set of um, people. But no, he he even in the Greek, he's he's spelling it out. He's he's numbering it out. He's showing you that these are two different groups that he's talking about here. So well, hopefully this, that that helps someone with a little bit of clarity there. That's right. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, that these two groups are segregated into the male child in Revelation chapter twenty. And then the rest of her children, whom the dragon goes to make war with, that is the other group. That is the Talulim that get beheaded. So all three groups are right there in Revelation chapter 12. But uh, Well, we made it through it, but it is time to close. (laughs) You want to pray us out of here, Jose? Yes, I can. Dear Heavenly Father, whom we love and serve, We continually give you thanks and praise for allowing us to come together, allowing us to have time, to have the resources to be able to study your word and to share it. Father, I ask that you put it on our hearts to read your word, that you put it on our hearts to pray continually to you, Lord. That's the only way that we're going to be able to handle the birth pains. That's the only way we're going to be able to understand what is to come. And so I ask that you bless your children and you accomplish these things for, for us before that great day, Lord. And we ask that you care for those of our family members in need, in health. And we ask that you bring more people to your flock, Father. Whether that is through us, whether that is through the listeners, that their hearts are moved to, to spread your word, your gospel. I ask that you put it on our hearts to do this, Father. And we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, till next time, God bless. Godspeed. Thank you for listening to Maranatha Ministries with Matthew Miller. I appreciate you tuning in. For more information, stop by and visit us at patreon.com backslash Matthew Miller. Or you can correspond to us via snail mail by writing to P.O. Box 024, Reader, North Dakota, 58649. Now, if you're a God-fearing, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching Christian, please repeat after me. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Its words will I hide in my heart that I might not sin against God.